Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. to Pastor Joey, Pastor Jen, the, the whole crew that's in Orlando. I was, when I was watching the kids camp video, I just started to think, I was looking at Samuel behind me, and we did kids camp together, and I was looking at Regina, Rebecca, we did kids camp together, Dave went to kids camp together, and I just want to encourage you, kiddos, because I know it's family Sunday, if you're in here and you're, you're, you're maybe nervous, you're maybe not sure you want to go. Parents, if you're maybe nervous, like, I don't know if they're ready. I can't send my kid away. It is such a powerful week to meet Jesus. And there are so many kiddos, so many people that God calls at kids camp. And Pastor Joey talked about generations kind of being brought up. Let's continue to pour into those generations, into our kiddos, and create a a love and a legacy in their hearts for Jesus. So I encourage you, if you're nervous, you're worried, jump all in. Check out camp. It is awesome. Uh, I did want to give a shout-out, another shout-out to Matthew's family. Uh, I heard we were worshiping, and I could hear you guys worshiping. And I, I had a feeling you guys were here because I knew his service. And I was like, that's got to be Matthew's family. The way you guys were worshiping, and that was one of the dearest things we loved about Matthew. It's just the way he worshiped the Lord, just crying out, hands up, every single Sunday. We talked about it last week. Matthew Baker gave his first. He gave his best to the Lord. And I can see that. You guys just have a godly legacy, so God bless you guys. I'm just so happy you're here. One last tidbit. I want to give another shout-out to the food pantry, and I just had this thought while we were worshiping. There is somebody today, guys, that is praying for God's provision. They are praying that God would provide something for them, that they would provide food, that he would provide a meal. And God works through his church. He works through his people And what a wonderful way to be an answer to somebody's prayer by grabbing one of those boxes and just praying to God, who is somebody on your heart that you can go bring some food to? Be an answer to somebody's prayer. Be be the hands and feet of Jesus this week, okay? All right, so we are continuing our series called Sold Out Summer. And the heart behind this series is to go all in for the things of God, to be completely sold out for the mission and the message of Jesus. And I just want to share with you guys just my heart, my hope, my prayer for you as individuals, for myself, for us as a body of Christ, for this church cornerstone, is that God would move, God would work, the Holy Spirit would stir something inside of every one of us to be absolutely all in for the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. Would you guys agree that in in our world, in our culture, we we value the principle of balance. We value the principle of moderation. You might hear things like balance is the key to everything or balance is the key to success. Balance is the key to happiness. And that's good advice. I agree. You you, got to have that a little bit of a balance, right? You talk about work-life balance. You can't work 100 hours a week and never be at home, right? And inversely, you could just not stay at home all the time and never go to work. There's this tension, there's this balance. We gotta kinda juggle the two, right? When we talk about moderation, 
you hear that quote, everything in moderation, including moderation. And so often it's in regard to our diets, right? You can eat everything but in moderation, right? You can have cookies and ice cream, but you can't just eat cookies and ice cream. You've got to sprinkle in a, some steamed broccoli or something. But nobody wants to just eat steamed broccoli and skinless chicken breast all the time. Although when you, the way you look after you do, you might want to, I don't know. But uh, you, there's a balance, right? A couple weeks ago, the CPAA did their, their end of the year show, and there was this really cute little skit, and it was all the fours and five-year-olds. And some of them were dressed up as pieces of pizza, and some were dressed up as little cookies, and some were dressed up as little pieces of candy. And then you had some dressed up as fruits and vegetables. And kind of the gist of the skit was like the fruits and vegetables were like condemning the, the, the sweets. Like, oh, don't eat them. And the sweets were like, well, hey, you can eat us. And then they finished it with like, you can eat all of us, just eat us in moderation. And my question is, do we take that same principle? Do we try to live a balanced Christian life? Do we try to live a balanced life for Jesus? Do we try to live a life of moderation for Jesus? We want a little bit of Jesus, enough to look like a follower, enough to maybe kind of fulfill that urge for, for religion, but not enough to be completely all in, submitted to his wills and way for our life. We want to be obedient sometimes, but we kind of also want to do what we want to do, right? And we kind of try to balance the two. And my question is, is Jesus looking for balanced, moderate followers? And I think when we look to Scripture, the answer is a resounding no. When he speaks to the church in Laodicea, he says, you guys are neither hot, you're neither cold. You're not on fire. You're, you know, he's like, pick one. Either be all in or be all out. He's like, but you're lukewarm. And what's he going to do to the lukewarm water? I will spit you out. The young rich ruler comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And I'm kind of summarizing the story. He says, well, follow the Ten Commandments. You know, follow the commandments. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not covet. And the man's like, great. I, I do all those things. I've been doing those since I was a kid. He goes, there's one thing you're lacking. Take everything you have. Give it to the poor, and then you will, you will inherit treasure in heaven. Young man became sad because he had a lot of wealth. Jesus gave him the cost of following him. He needed to be willing to sacrifice and give everything he had. He wasn't willing to pay that cost. How many know Jesus sometimes says things that are a little uncomfortable to read? And this is one of those things, and I was kind of hesitant to say it, and sometimes you want to kind of sugarcoat it. But he says things like this, you want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? Hate your mother and father. Hate your husband and wife. Hate your children. Hate your brother and sisters. Hate yourself. They're bold words. Aggressive words. And I know family Sunday, so we got some kiddos here, so I want to clarify. He is clearly not telling us to hate one another. He's not telling you to hate your husband and wife. He's not telling you to literally hate your kids, to literally hate your brothers and sisters, to literally hate yourselves. But I want everybody to, to look at whoever they came with today. Look at your spouses, if you will. Look at your kids if they're here today. I'm going to look at my wife, my daughter Avery, my son Everett. And I want you guys just to think in your head how much you love them, how you would do anything for them. And I want you to have that in your mind. And what Jesus is saying, compared to your love, 
compared to your devotion, compared to your willingness to sacrifice everything for the people you love, when you compare that to the way we love and we are all in for Jesus, it should look as if we hate them. That is the kind of commitment he is calling us to. He says things like, pick up your cross daily and follow me. The culture at that time, that would have been an aggressive statement. What he's essentially saying is, pick up your instrument of torture and death, die to yourselves, and follow me. He is looking for an all-in, sold-out commitment. Jesus gives us a great command. He gives us a great commission. That great command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. He's saying, love God with everything you have, everything in you, everything you've got. That great commission, go, make disciples, make followers of all the nations. And when he says all nations, he's not just talking about all the different countries. He is talking about all the different people groups in this world. And I think that's a, such a powerful truth and reminder that God's grace, God's love, God's gift of salvation is for all people doesn't matter where you're from, the language you speak, your race, the color of your skin. God's saving grace is for everyone. I read a statistic this week. 3.2 billion people, there are 3.2 billion unreached people in this world. And by unreached, this article meant there are 3.2 billion people that don't know Jesus. They either have never heard of Jesus, or maybe they've heard of him. But they don't really know Jesus. They don't know what Jesus done, had done for them. They don't have access to the gospel. If there's a church in those places, some don't even have a church. If there is one, they are not fully equipped to share the gospel with everybody there. And I am not saying that to say that we are all called to go to different parts of the world and go on mission. Now, if you are, I encourage you to be obedient to that. And get out of your comfort zone and go where the Lord is telling you to go. And what's amazing, this church, Cornerstone, we are part of the Foursquare Church. The Foursquare has churches and missionaries all over the world. So if that is something you want to do, if that is something God has placed on your heart, please, we can get you plugged in. We can get you sent out to different parts of the world to share the gospel. But how many know there are people in this city? There are people in our community. There are people in our neighborhoods, there are people in our schools, there are people at our workplaces that have not heard the gospel message, that don't know Jesus. And the why I bring that up, it's 3.2 billion people, guys. It's a lot of people. That is a big task. And Jesus gave us all a great command and a great commission. And if we are to go out and share the gospel with everybody, we can't afford to be halfway in and halfway out. We need to be completely in, completely sold out, completely in, for the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he tells the disciples, he says, pray earnestly that the God of the harvest would send laborers out into the field. So if we could just close our eyes and bow our heads, I just want to say a quick prayer over the message and a prayer over you guys. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son, Jesus, Lord. I just pray that you are at work in this room today, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit is in this room and it is stirring the hearts of everybody in here, stirring us to action, giving us the courage and the boldness to step out in faith and be laborers in the harvest, Lord. 
to desire people to know you, to desire people to come into your kingdom, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing our series, as I said, in Hebrews. And we've been hanging out in Hebrews chapter 11. And we've been going through some different characters. We, some call chapter 11 like the Hall of Fame of Faith, right? You see a bunch of the heroes of the faith. And we're going to kind of unpack some of those characters week to week. We looked at Abel last week. And we see that Abel, by faith, gave his first and best to the Lord. We're going to look at characters like Noah, who by faith built an ark. Some scholars say that that ark took him probably 100 to 125 years to build. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he got probably a little bit of ridicule. People were probably walking by like wondering like, Noah, what are you doing, man? And what a powerful reminder that although we might be ridiculed, people might wonder, why are you different? What are you doing? People might say things, but to be faithful and obedient to God's calling. And in a world where we want instant gratification... Sometimes we can be discouraged because what God's calling us to do sometimes takes time. And it takes a day in and day out commitment. So we can look at the life of Noah and just see how we need to wake up every day with a passion and a fervor for what God has called you to do, regardless of what anybody says. We'll look at the life of Abraham, who basically gave God a blank check. He said, God, I will go where you tell me to go and I will do what you ask me to do. And we see that in his willingness to sacrifice his son to be obedient to what the Lord was telling him to do. Before we jump in, we've talked about this the last couple weeks with Hebrews, but I think it's an important message, and I think it's a really relevant message for us today, so I don't want to skip it. But the book of Hebrews, it's written to, to Jewish Christians, and they're being persecuted for their faith. They're being persecuted by the Romans, they're being persecuted by the Jews. Scripture tells us they're being, they're being beaten, they're being thrown into prison, they're being ridiculed. And because of the hardships and the difficulties they're going through, they are tempted to turn their back on Jesus. They are tempted to walk away from the faith and go back to their old lives. And the writer is encouraging them and saying, guys, I know it's hard, I know you're going through difficulties, I know you want to go back, but I'm reminding you, Jesus is better Jesus is greater. He's, Jesus is better than the prophets, he tells them. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. His priesthood is better than that of Aaron's. His blood sacrifice is better than that of bulls and goats. His new covenant is better than the old covenant. And in 12, he, he encourages them. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And how often, when we're going through difficulties, when we're going through struggles... We might be tempted to turn our back on the faith. Sometimes when we become Christians, we think things are going to just be easy and great, and we're never going to go through a difficult situation again. How many know that's not true? Jesus was pretty dang clear. He said, in this life, you will face troubles. He doesn't say if or you might. He says you will face troubles. And sometimes when we, we become a believer and we walk through struggles, we walk through difficulties, we can start to doubt God. We can start to ask God, why? And if this is how it's going to be, this isn't what I signed up for. I'll just go back to my old life. And I give you the same message that the writer of Hebrews gives. Jesus is better. He is greater. He is more powerful. He is stronger than anything you will ever walk through. So keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I love how it kind of builds up this argument that Jesus is greater. And then he directs them in chapter 11. He says... 
Look to the others who have gone before you. And he tells their faith story. He tells their testimony. And I think it's a, a wonderful reminder for you and me. We've all walked through something, guys. Each and every one of us in this building has walked through something hard and something painful. Amen? And if you haven't, you certainly will. And when we walk through those struggles and we hold on to our faith and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, each and every time it's like strengthening a muscle, it strengthens that faith. And our faith gets stronger and stronger as we see that God is faithful. But your story, your testimony, your walk of faith doesn't only strengthen you. I want you guys to look around each other. It strengthens the brothers and sisters right next to you. So it is so important that you share your faith story. You share your battles. You share your struggle and you share your testimony. Because it's what builds the church. Share that story. So as we jump into the, the message, we're still kind of in the intro phase, a little longer. Um, <laughs> we're going to look at another hero of the faith. He's not found in chapter Hebrews 11, though. This hero of the faith, I don't think anybody would disagree. He's a hero I don't think, of the faith. I don't think anybody would disagree. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer of the faith. And we're going to look at some encouraging words from the Apostle Paul, urging us and begging us and pleading with us to go all in for Jesus. And before we get into that, I, I just wanted to read a little snippet from, from Paul's life. You're looking at Hebrews 11, and it kind of gives you a, by faith, it says the character, and then it gives you like a little, kind of, I guess you could say, a, a news flash of their life, little tidbits. So I just want to, I, I, there's one in 2 Corinthians I'm going to read. And it's kind of Paul's by faith, we'll say. And I'm not going to change it, but I'm going to take the eyes. I'm going to make them he's, just so it reads a little bit more like Hebrews 11. It says, so by faith. I should tell you, it's 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, if you want to open your Bibles and check it out. So by faith, Paul worked much harder. He'd been in prison more. He'd been flogged more severely, and he'd been exposed to death again and again. Five times he received the, Jew, the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was pelted with stones. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and day in the open sea. He had been constantly on the move. He had been in danger from the rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews. He had been in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. He had labored and toiled and had often gone without sleep. He had known hunger and thirst, and often he went without food. He had been cold and naked. Paul endured all of this for the sake of the gospel message he had received. Paul knew the power of the gospel, that the gospel was the power of God to bring salvation to all those who believe. In the gospel, we see how we are made right with God. Paul was given that message, and he felt almost an obligation. He felt indebted. He felt like he owed it to everyone to take that message that he had received, that gospel message, to take that love and the grace that he himself received and share it with the world. So at all costs, he went out and proclaimed the gospel message, he proclaimed the message and mission of Jesus Christ. He lived a sold-out, all-out life for Jesus. And he is calling us, he is urging us 
to do the same. So today we're going to look at Romans 12.1, and that's kind of where we're going to camp out. And this week we're going to look at what does a sold-out life look like, and then we're going to see why we should live a sold-out life. And then next week we're going to explore how God equips us, not only as individuals, but how he equips us as a church to be able to live a sold-out life for him, and then maybe some reasons in which keep us from living a sold-out life. You guys ready to jump in? All right, so if your Bibles aren't open, I encourage you to open your Bibles. As Pastor Joey would say, if you have a phone, turn on your Bibles, and uh, let's jump into the message. Jump into Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what does a sold-out life look like? Number one, our bodies offered to God. What Paul is saying here is we offer not just our hearts, not just our minds, not just our spirits, but we also offer God our physical bodies. We offer God everything we have. Take a look at uh, Romans 6, 13. I don't think it'll be up there. Oh, there we go. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. We are used to use our bodies to serve the Lord and do what is right and righteous in his eyes. We are to offer God our feet to go where he tells us to go. We are to offer God our hands to do the work he calls us to do, to serve one another, to lay hands on one another, to pray for another, one another, and to lift one another up. We are to offer God our tongues to speak words of love, to speak words of truth, to speak the gospel message to encourage one another, to lift one another up. How many of you guys liked our series when Pastor Joey talked about the power of the tongue? I love that one. And it's such an important reminder that, guys, our tongues, they have power. They have the power to build people up, but they also have the power to what? Tear people down. And we need to offer God our tongues, and I would even say we need to offer him our thumbs, because so much of the damage we do is on social media, typing away. Too often we're using our words to tear each other down, to speak hate, to speak anger, and we need to use them to build one another up, to share the love of Jesus with everyone. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it might benefit those who listen. Cornerstone, let's offer God our tongues and share God's message of love and grace, encourage others and build others up. Can't think of anything more than the world needs right now. We offer God our minds. Romans 12.2 says... Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, God's perfect and pleasing will. 
we are not to act, we are not to think like the world around us, but we are to offer our minds to God and through the work of the Holy Spirit. When we do that, he begins to transform the way we think. We begin to think more like God. We begin to love the things God loves. We begin to desire the things God desires. We begin to have a godly perspective on things, and we see the things the way God sees things. That transforming of the mind comes through relationship with God. It comes by fellowship with God. It comes by when we are alone with God, when we spend time in prayer with God, when we spend time in God's word. I heard a pastor one time say, we can't know God's will for our life more than we know his word. And did you catch that last part? God's perfect and pleasing will. God's purpose, God's plan, God's will for your life is perfect and pleasing. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. God's plan, God's purposes, God's ways are perfect and pleasing. We are to offer ourselves, offer our bodies, our hands, our feet, our tongues, our minds to God. Second way we live a sold-out life, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. A little bit of a problem, guys, with the living sacrifice. See, in the Old Testament, when you bring a sacrifice to the altar, that animal was dead, meaning it wasn't going anywhere. So the problem with the living sacrifice is it can get up from the altar. It can get up and move. And we are always trying to get up from the altar of God. And so when Paul says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, what he is saying is we need to make a daily commitment to offer ourselves to God. We need to make a daily commitment, an hourly commitment, and depending on where you're at, sometimes you need to make a minute-by-minute commitment to offer yourselves to God. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. He is saying, offer all of yourself everything you got each and every single day as an offering to the Lord. Third thing we see, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. Paul's using temple terminology here, and the picture we see is that of a worshiper coming to the temple with an offering. There's a few different offerings in the Old Testament, one of which is a, a sin offering. And in a sin offering, the, the, the worshiper would shed the blood of the animal to atone for their sins, to receive forgiveness for their sins, and then take some of that blood and sprinkle it in the tabernacle to cleanse the tabernacle. Now when you know Jesus, Hebrews tells us, Jesus is our sin offering. And through the shedding of his blood, our sins have for, been forgiven. And he sprinkles our hearts clean from guilt, and purifies us with the sprinkling of his blood. But I think the picture here Paul is, is creating is that of a whole burnt offering. And with a whole burnt offering, you would take the entire animal and you put it on the altar, and you burn it. And the smoke would rise up, and it would send to the Lord, and he'd waft it in, he'd take it in, and it would be a pleasing scent. It would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And that offering was to be unblemished and without defect. 
Now, I think it's important to make note that Paul is not saying before we can offer our lives to God, before we can come to him, that we have to be unblemished and without defect. And I want to say that because I think oftentimes we can fall into that way of thinking that we need to make ourselves right, that we need to clean up our lives, that we need to somehow get things together before we can come to God. That is not what Paul is saying. When he's saying holy and pleasing, when he is saying it is to be unblemished and without defect, he is encouraging us, he is telling us to offer God our first and our best. We saw that with Abel last week. He offered the choice, choicest lamb from his flock. And what did God do? God accepted his sacrifice. We see that Cain kind of just took some vegetables and other stuff he found on the, on the floor and just kind of, here you go, God. He offered God his leftovers. And God doesn't accept that type of sacrifice. So we are to give God our first and our very best, the first of our time, the first of our talents, the first of our giftings, our skills, our resources, the first of our finances. We are not to give God our leftovers. A sacrifice, would you agree, is, it should be hard. It should be difficult. If we're sacrificing, it's something that means something to us, right? So think of this you're, you're, with your tithe. We're supposed to give God our first, right? But oftentimes we, we pay our bills, we pay our mortgage, do some things we want to do around the house maybe, some entertainment, buy some clothes. There's nothing wrong with those things. And then we get to the end of the month, and maybe we got 100 bucks left, 200 bucks left, and we kind of look at that, and we're like, oh, it's just leftover. That's what I'll give to God. That type of, that's not a sacrifice. It didn't cost you anything, did it? It doesn't take faith to give that kind of offering. What takes first faith is to say, I am going to give God my first, my best, and I am going to trust him to provide and be there for me. Paul is calling us to offer our bodies, all of ourselves. He's calling us to do this every single day. And he's calling us to give God our first and our very best. Now, you might be sitting here and say, like, you know what? That sounds like kind of a lot. Sounds like a big ask. Sounds kind of costly. You're right. That type of commitment to the Lord, that type of all-out commitment to Jesus, it's costly. Jesus is... He tells us it'll be costly. He tells us to count the cost. He wants us to be well aware that following him is tough. It's difficult. But man, is it worth it. And so if you're sitting here thinking like, ah, eh, that's kind of tough. It sounds difficult. I want to just give you some reasons of why we should live a sold-out life that we see from the, from the text. Point number one, living a sold-out life is the true and proper way to worship God. Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is what? This is our true and proper worship. How many know we don't just worship God on Sunday mornings? Right? We worship God with our everyday life. I like the way the, the message translation puts it. It says, take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Louis Giglio offers a, I thought it was a helpful definition of worship. It says, worship is our response to what we value most. It says, so how do you know where and what you worship? It says, it's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your loyalty. At the end of that trail... 
you'll find a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne is what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. Worship is not just coming to church on Sundays and singing some songs. And don't get me wrong, I love worshiping the Lord here. I love our worship. I love singing Him praise. But we worship, worshiping God is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week practice. We worship God with our time. We worship God with our talents, our energy, and our finances. We worship God by loving others and serving others. We worship God when we do our jobs faithfully and with integrity. We worship God by playing with our kids and taking care of our families. We worship God when we value Him above everything else, including ourselves. We worship God by denying ourselves and picking up our cross daily and following Him. We worship by loving him with everything we have and giving him everything we have. So let's, as a church, as an individuals, take a hard look at where we are spending our money, where we are spending our time, how we are using our gifting, our talents, and our resources. And if we follow that trail, is it going to lead back to us? Is it going to lead back to us building our own kingdom, building our own success here on earth? Or is it going to lead back to God and building his kingdom? And storing our treasures in heaven. We worship God with our everyday, ordinary, walking around life. The second reason. I need some water. I went a little longer than I normally do before I need the water. Second reason we live a sold out life. Because, because of everything God has done for us. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies. The reason we live a sold-out life, the reason we offer our bodies to God, is because of the mercies of God. Because of everything he has done for you and me. And that word, therefore. Anytime you see a therefore in scripture, you should go back to what it said before. And this is kind of a long therefore, because it is, it is telling us to go back all the way to Romans chapter 1 and track it back from 1 all the way to 11 where, where Paul unpacks the mercies of God. Paul unpacks everything God has done for us. Paul unpacks the gospel message. Did something go out? No? The book of Romans at its heart, at its core, is a book about the gospel. We get kind of a thesis statement of the letter in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says the power of the gospel is, bring, is to bring salvation to everyone. Again, important reminder that God's salvation, God's love, God's grace is for every single person. No matter what you've done, what you've walked through, your past mistakes, it is for everyone. And it says the gospel reveals the righteousness of God and is from faith by faith from first to last. And what it's saying there is that the gospel reveals to us how we are to be made right with God. And it is by faith, from first to last. Some translations will say from faith to faith. And what that is saying is that it starts with faith and it ends with faith. And we need to remember that because sometimes we understand as Christians, we, we can get in our head, okay, I am saved by faith. But well, then we think we got to kind of start doing all these things to kind of maintain that salvation. And yes, we are called to do works for the Lord. 
But our standing, our right standing with God is from faith to faith. It starts with faith, and it ends with faith. And I just want to look at Romans, just kind of go through Romans 1 all the way to 11, and just kind of pull out some different things that we can look at. As I said, the book of Romans at its heart is a book about the gospel. It's a book about the good news. It's a book about the power of God to bring salvation. But the book of Romans starts off with some bad news. The bad news is we're all sinners. The bad news is we have all fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news is none of us are righteous. Not even one. And sometimes we want to ignore the bad news. Want to pretend there's no bad news. Want to kind of brush it under the rug. But it is so important that we understand the bad news. Because when we understand the bad news, it makes the good news that much better. And for us to understand the impact of the gospel, for the gospel to really kind of start to transform our lives, that power that has the power to bring salvation to all who believe, we need to first understand and realize that we're in need of saving. And in chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven on all the godlessness and wickedness of this world. And Paul spends a couple chapters from 118 to about 319 telling us about the wrath of God. And he tells us it's not just for this group of people or for that group of people. The wrath of God is coming down on all people because all people have sinned. And I love the transition from chapter 1 into chapter 2. Because chapter 1, he's kind of talking to, the, he's talking to the world. He's talking to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And for some reason, whenever I read it, I get this picture of the Jewish people maybe like shaking their head like, Yeah, get them, Paul. Those sinners. And then you see the transition right at the beginning of chapter 2. He's like, who are you to judge? Who are you to condemn? You're just as bad as they are. You're no better than them. And what an important reminder for us, because we can kind of fall into that pattern sometimes too, right? Ah, those non-churchgoers, those non-believers, that world, they sin. And we can forget that we too are no better. We too are sinners. And we've only been saved because of the love, grace, and mercy of God. And so doesn't it make sense that we should share that same love, grace, and mercy with everybody and stop doing the, the finger wagging? So this kind of builds up, and he's talking about the wrath of God. He's talking about how sinful everybody is, and, and it kind of reaches ahead where it says, uh, where is it? Right at 3, chapter 3. And if you go from like 19 or 9 to 20, you can read the whole thing. I'm just going to read a few verses, but it says, There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. If we're all being honest, we understand that we have all sinned. We all have, at some point have turned and rejected and rebelled against God and looked to ourselves. So you might be wondering at this point, you're like, well, now what? Like, what are we going to do? What could we possibly do to kind of clean up this, this sin mess we've made? What could we do to save ourselves? What could we do to be made right with God? What do we do? And the answer is nothing. There is nothing you and I can do to clean up the sin mess we've made. There is nothing you and I can do in and of ourselves to be made right with God. And I guess I'll preface that. If you want to go down that route and try to make yourselves right with God through works, I suppose you could do it by keeping all 613 Old Testament commandments. Suppose you could do it by living a perfect, sinless, blameless life. 
But I don't think I need to spend much time up here convincing us that that's not possible, right? Do I? I don't think so. Um, so it's back to the question, well, now what? And in Romans 3.21, we get really good news. But God has shown us how to be made right with him through Jesus Christ. And 3.21, we learn, we're like, but how? We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. That is good news, people. No matter what you've done, your past mistakes, your past sins, your past failures, you are made right with God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 4 continues, and we learn that through the death of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And through his resurrection, we are justified. We are made right. We are acquitted on all charges. But God doesn't just pay our sin debt, folks. He doesn't just pay our sin debt and leave us at a zero balance. No, we are, our accounts are credited with the righteousness of Jesus. And what that means is God sees you, God sees me like he sees Jesus. He sees us as if we lived the life Jesus lived. He no longer sees you as sinners. He no longer sees you by your past mistakes or your past failures. He sees you like you have lived a sinless, blameless life like his son Jesus. And I want to ask you a question. How do you see yourself today? Do you see yourself as a failure? Do you see yourself by that divorce, by that addiction, by those struggles? Is that how you see yourself? And I want to tell you, God doesn't see you that way. God sees you as sinless and blameless in his sight. Chapter 5, we see because we've been made right with God, we're no longer at odds with him. We're no longer enemies, but we have peace with God. I can't think of a better comfort than knowing we are at peace with the Almighty God. Amen? No longer do we stand condemned, but we stand in a place of grace at the throne of God. A place of undeserved favor and love. Chapter 6, we see that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are dead to sin, dead to the power of death. It no longer has rule and reign in our lives, but because we, Jesus died and we died with him, we are alive to God. Chapter 7, I love it. Paul, he kind of describes this struggle he's having with sin. And it's one of my favorite portions of Scripture because I think it's, all, it's something we can all relate to. Yes, we put our faith in Jesus. We become believers. But how many know we still battle with sin? We still battle with temptation, right? And Paul's kind of describing, he's like, I want to do good, but I do what's not good. The things I do, I don't do. The things I want to do, I don't do. And he, you got this crazy back and forth. And he cries out, he's like, who's going to save me from this life dominated by sin and death? And it's like he surrendered. He says, thanks be to God, the answer is in Jesus Christ. Because through Jesus Christ, we have complete and utter victory over sin. We have victory over our battles and our struggles with sin. Chapter 8 is a triumphant chapter. We see because we are in Christ Jesus, there is no longer condemnation for the believer. There is no longer a guilty verdict. And we see in Jesus, we have this new identity. We are adopted into the family of God. We are sons and daughters of God, and we can now call him Abba. We can call him Father. That word Abba is like a real kind of intimate, warm term. We can call him Dad. 
We can call him daddy, papa, dada, whatever term you use. <laughs> we are brothers and sisters with Christ, and we are co-heirs with Christ. So though we might struggle in this world, we are promised because we are co-heirs with Christ that we will receive and inherit the glorious blessings and riches of the kingdom of heaven. And then we get this amazing declaration at the end of chapter 8. I'm just going to read it. It's an amazing de demonstration of God's love for us. It says, And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you guys hearing that? There is nothing you can do. Your past sins, your past mistakes, your past struggles. The enemy, how many know he comes to attack? There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Chapters 9 through 11, a lot of debate, a lot of discussion on these chapters. It talks about things like predestination and election and God's foreknowledge. We won't get into that today, but I just say this to you. Chapters 9 and 11, we see the truth that God pursues you with his love. God pursues you and has initiated a relationship with you and with me. And this is not based on anything we have done. It is not based on you and me. It is not based on our giftings or our skills and our talents. It is based 100% on God. And you know why that's good news? Because if it's not based on you and me, we can't mess it up. God has made up his mind about you. And we know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change his mind. And that brings us to chapter 12, back to chapter 12, and point number three. It just makes sense. That word true and proper is translated from the, the Greek word logikos, and it means logical. You'll see some translations say reasonable or rational act of service. So what Paul is saying, he's saying to offer your bodies... Because of the mercies of God. Because of everything he has done for you. Offer yourselves to God. Because it is the reasonable, logical, rational thing to do. It only makes sense that we would offer all of ourselves to God because Jesus Christ offered everything he had to you and me. And we are to respond in the same fashion. And I don't want us to miss this, this point here, but... The order that the book of Romans is in. Chapters 1 through 11 is walking us through everything God has done for us. And then there's a transition at chapter 12. And it starts to, to tell us the things we should now do. And the fact that the done become before the do is an important and powerful truth of the gospel. The gospel says we are accepted not by what we do or don't do, but we are accepted because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and me and offers to us as a free gift. 
The gospel is different from every other religion. Most other religions say that I obey, therefore I am accepted. The gospel says I am accepted, therefore I obey. We don't give to God to get from God. We give to God because he has already given us everything. A couple months ago, we went to this, this conference. It was a men's conference, and the, one of the speakers, his name was David Platt. And he created a really cool picture that I, that I like to kind of describe this. He says, every other religion views God as on top of this mountain. And we as people need to strive and do and try to climb our way to that mountain. The gospel says... God, in the person of Jesus, came down from that mountain into our sinful and broken world to save you and me. That's the power of the gospel. So as we close, I'm just going to read Romans 12, 1, one more time. And I've read it a lot, so you probably got it memorized by now. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul, guys, he is urging us. He is begging with us. He is pleading with us to go all in for Jesus. And that word urge, the original word, it kind of creates, it paints this picture of Paul coming up to the the brothers and sisters coming up to the believers and kind of warmly putting his arm around them to encourage them. Joe, brother, in light of everything God's done for you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading you, go all in. Erica, sister, in light of everything God's done for you, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you, go all in. Cornerstone, got his arm around us. I'm begging you. I'm pleading you. Go all in because of everything God has done. We open this sermon with a little statistic, right? You remember that number? What was that number? How many people? 3.2 billion people unreached. Haven't heard the message of Jesus. He said there's people in our city, people in our neighborhoods, people in our communities, people at our schools, people at our works, that haven't heard the gospel message, that haven't received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. How many know Jesus is coming back? It's good news, right? Amen. The hope and the joy we have as believers is based on Jesus' return, that he is going to come back one day and make things right. That we were going to spend eternity with him in a place where there was no more sin. There was no more hurt. There was no more pain. There was no more tears. It's going to be a glorious day. And I'll say it again. How many know Jesus is coming back? Jesus is coming back. And he's coming with him as reward for those that have put their faith and their trust in him. But he's also coming back to judge the world. For who hasn't put their faith and trust in him, right? We don't always like to talk about that part. He's going to come back and he's going to judge the world. And the Bible describes hell 
place of eternal darkness. You ever been in a really dark room? I'm talking dark. Where you just can't even see an inch in front of you. Describes it as a place of just eternal fire and torment. The gnashing of teeth. Some aggressive language. And the point I'm making is there's a lot on the line. We are talking about people's eternal life here. And as believers and followers of Jesus, we have all been given and received a beautiful, wonderful gift. And that is the gospel message. But we have also been given a task, we've been given a mission, we've been given a commission from Jesus. And that is to go into the world and make disciples, make followers of Jesus. We should feel an obligation. We should feel a debt. We should feel that we owe it to everyone to share that gospel message. Amen. So I pray that we, we are a people that live a sold out life, that we live our life in obedience to the great commission and to the great command, that we love the Lord our God with everything we have, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And we lay our down our life with that kind of love. It only makes sense that we would be obedient to what he's called us to do. And he has called us to go out into the world and make disciples, make followers of him. So Cornerstone, I am pleading with you. I am begging with you. I am urging you today to go all in for Jesus, to be sold out for the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. Amen? If we could just bow our heads, close our eyes, I'll just say a quick prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. We thank you for sending your son, Lord. We thank you for coming into our, this mess we've created. We thank you for coming into our sinful, broken world and providing us with salvation. We thank you for the gospel message, Lord. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in this church and in the, in the body of this church and every single person in here. And that you would stir something new in them. And that they would have the courage and the boldness to walk out every day with the hands and feet of Jesus. And take that wonderful, beautiful message you have given us and share it with the world. I pray that we would be passionate about the things God is passionate about. And he is passionate about seeing souls saved. He is passionate about seeing his kingdom built. So I pray that we have that same passion, we have that same love, we have that same fervor to bring people into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' precious name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.